welcome everybody to our next episode of the Hall Call podcast. On this Hall Call, we talk to some of the interesting figures in Virginia sports and about the numerous events and stories that make sports in Virginia so unique. I am Will Driscoll, the executive director of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame and the host for the Hall Call podcast. Uh, on the podcast this week, we are thrilled to be joined by a Virginia native, from Big Stone Gap and Appalachia, a UVA alum, NFL Pro Bowler, and 2018 Hall of Fame inductee, Thomas Jones. Thomas, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Hall Call Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, you know, you are you own numerous VHSL rushing records. We'll kind of go through your your football Rolodex. You're including most yards in a season and in a single game. You're the all-time leader in Virginia Cavalier history, 26th all-time in NFL history, and one of only 31 players to eclipse the 10,000-yard mark. I have a question for you, though. Do you know who is 27th on the all-time list? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I do. As someone that... Uh I've looked up to uh, since I was in high school and uh, looked up to uh, while I was in the NFL. He set a really high standard, uh, you know, for me to chase. So, uh, yeah, that would be Tiki Barber. That's right. Yeah, quite a a little lineage. You overtook him at UVA, and then you guys are 26 and 27 on the NFL uh, all-time list. That's actually kind of a really cool statistic there. But, you know, first things first, I do want to get the toughest question out of the way. It's been 15 years since a UVA team beat a Virginia Tech football team. Is this the year that the Hoos can get it done? Uh, I really, really, really hope so. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, thought, I thought last year was the year. It was you know obviously if, if you saw the game, if anyone saw the game, it came down to the wire, and, uh, and it would have been sweet because you know they would have beat them uh, in Blacksburg. Um, and the last time you know when I last time I played in Blacksburg, we came back. Uh, I think it was the biggest comeback in Virginia history uh, against Virginia Tech. We were down, I think, 29 to uh, 3 or 6 or something at halftime. We came back and won 36-32. So uh, I was really hoping they would have won last, would have won last year. I think with, with the program, where the program is now, I think they're headed in the right direction. And um, I definitely think this could be the year that they play at home. Uh, they've got momentum coming from last season. Um, from what I've seen, they've got some really, really good recruits coming in, mixed in with some of the veterans. Uh, I think this could be the year. I really hope it. Hope it is the year. Well, you know, a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the pundits in that cover the ACC are, are in agreement with you. I just saw on Twitter today and all over social media that UVA has actually been voted by the writers to win the Coastal Division. Now, obviously, that's not the overall conference. I do, I do think a few of them did pick them, but it it does show you that the the program is trending in the right direction. Have you been following the program since you've left? Yes, yes, I definitely have. Uh, I actually had three younger sisters that graduated uh, from UVA uh, once I left, and one of them was a cheerleader. So uh, I followed them pretty pretty close over the last uh, few decades now. And um, uh, I know they had a couple of seasons where they were uh, doing really well, and then you know, obviously they had a couple of seasons where they weren't doing so well. Uh, but now, you know, you just kind of see the progression. Uh, you see, um, you know, the consistency, you know, their, their um, you know, uh, determination to, to, you know, turn the program around and kind of get it back to where it was um, back when we played. Um, and I did see that they were uh, picked to win the, uh, the Coastal Division, which is huge. Uh, and I think that they have the, the core players. And uh, I know there's a lot of uh, 
benefits that they have from the times that we played. You know, they have a new stadium, and you know, they even have a new have a band. You know, we we had we had the, the pet band, which was uh, a mixture of students that got together, and they were incredible, super creative uh, group of uh, individuals. But now they have an actual real band. You know, it's, it's kind of funny for me to see them have a real band. Um, but you know, they're, they're, I think the football program is definitely going in the right direction, and um, I think they can make a big splash not only in the ACC this year, but nationally. Well, they definitely have a, they don't need to look very far. They just need to look down the hall in the athletic department office to see, you know, what it is to, to win national titles. What a year that UVA sports overall has had. Yeah. Yeah, Incredible. So, uh, I mean, I was on Twitter, uh, during the, uh, most of the, 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 um, championship games, uh, that, you know, UVA played in this uh, past year. And it's just incredible to see the success of the sports programs. Uh, you know, when you think of Virginia, you you know, immediately think academics and, uh, you know, how uh, great of a school it is. Um, but, you know, uh, quietly, you know, Virginia sports, you know, it's one of the best sports universities in the country, and it has been for a long time. And uh, now I think, you know, with the football program thriving, um, I think, honestly, it could be the best sports athletic uh, university in the country. And, you, uh, yeah, you're you're not wrong there. Top to bottom, they are they are very very good, and uh, they they just compete on that top level across a lot of sports. Now, there were a lot of moments, obviously, the national titles and winning conferences across many sports that were great this year. But there was one one sad moment, and that was your head coach at UVA and fellow Virginia Sports Hall of Famer George Welsh passed away earlier this year. What was his impact on you as a football player and a person? Uh, coach Welsh was uh, was an incredible coach. He he he, uh, he had an innate ability to just see talent and find talent. Uh, well, I'm from in Virginia. It's a very small area. It's, it's in southwestern Virginia, uh, towards the Tennessee border. And unfortunately, uh, you know, a lot of people don't come in that area to recruit. And there's there are some incredible athletes there and incredible students there. Very talented people in my area of Virginia. Um, and, you know, Coach Welsh uh, came to my house, you know, by himself. He drove, you know, from Charlottesville, which is about five and a half hours. And, um, you know, sat in my house, you know, off the, my house was on the edge, of, literally on the edge of a cliff. And he, he came up and sat in my living room. And, um, you know, I was I played at a single-A school, um, you know, but, but I was very highly recruited. But he recognized my ability. And um, and he was the reason why I went to Virginia. I committed to Notre Dame, uh, so I wasn't even really thinking about Virginia at that time. But when he came to my house and the meeting I had, and then when I went on my visit, uh, it just he made me feel like that was home. And once I was at Virginia, I think he prepared me for the NFL more than any other coach could have because he treated us like men and he treated us like professionals. So, uh, you know, by the time I was drafted and, and uh, became an NFL player, I was already used to, you know, um, being a pro, practicing like a pro, carrying myself like a pro. And that was all attributed to him and, and his uh, his coaching style and um, the example that he led. Uh, I mean, you hear so many different stories. He was one of the most unique people you would ever meet. I mean, he's tough love is the one thing that, I could, that comes to mind when I think of Coach Welsh because he... You know, he really did care about us, and he had his, a unique way of showing it. 
But um, but he was the kind of guy that, you know, he really wanted to go out and play for. There were so many sentiments that echoed everything you just said in the in the days, weeks and months uh, after his passing. And he truly was a, a legend in coaching uh, here in Virginia and beyond because he was at the Naval Academy prior to coming to to Virginia. But, you know, you mentioned you were recruited by Notre Dame. You were recruited by UVA, obviously. But one of my favorite moments from your induction weekend actually into the Hall of Fame was at the breakfast event that we held in 2018. And you're sitting on the same stage as as Frank Beamer, the longtime Virginia Tech head coach, who who he mentioned that there might have been some recruitment there as well. And there was some playful banter uh, back and forth between the two of you. But there is a healthy rivalry between those two schools. We, we kind of alluded to it earlier. For those that may not be from Virginia who do listen to this, give them a sense of what the rivalry is between UVA and Tech. It's a uh, it's a pretty intense rivalry. Uh, I wasn't really uh, where I'm from in Virginia. I was more familiar with. Uh, more of the rivalries like the Tennessee, um, uh, Florida rivalries, um, you know, more of the, the kind of the, the national mm-hmm. you know, rivalries that you, that you hear to get a lot of attention, you know, whether it's USC, Notre Dame, um, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, Florida. But, you know, these are a lot of the, you know, uh, rivalries that get a lot more national attention, but the Virginia, Virginia Tech rivalry, once I, uh, got to UVA and it, and it was close to Virginia Tech week, uh, I, everything just kind of changed. The energy changed uh, in, the, in the facility. The practices were a little more intense. Um, and I just kind of picked up off of the upperclassmen's energy. And then once we played in Blacksburg, and, I mean, when I came into that stadium, it was just probably the toughest and harshest environment I had been in. I mean, you could just feel the dislike um, from the fans and uh, and it was like, wow, this is, you know, and then, you know, we're literally, we're playing for, you know, the rights to uh, who's the best team in Virginia, state of Virginia. Um, and then my net, my second year, um, I was in it by that time when we played Virginia Tech at home, we beat them at home. And uh, I mean, that honestly is the game of the year. It's, uh, you know, to have, there's so many great football players that come from the state of Virginia and, and the majority of players on Virginia and Virginia Tech teams are from Virginia. So it really is a battle of who's the best uh, the cream of the crop from Virginia. It really is a bragging rights battle because uh, you get to go home or you get to go visit other places in Virginia or even some of your future peers in the NFL. It's something you can always hold over their head or they can do t- the same to you as well. Um, you know, y- you were obviously a running back. You starting at Powell Valley, you set numerous records, uh, single game, uh, most yards in a season in the VHSL and then all the way through to uh, to UVA in the NFL. The the position itself is getting a lot of press these days, particularly in the NFL. You know, from a fan standpoint, it does seem to be the most overused yet underappreciated position in the league. You know, Le'Veon Bell set out an entire season. Melvin Gordon has put that option on the table. Zeke Elliott's contract is up in the air right now. Um, as a former running back, are there any differences you see in how the position is deployed and viewed in today's NFL? I think there's a myth around the lack of value of a great running back or a running game. Uh, you know, the majority of teams that make it to the playoffs, you have to have some sort of established running game. And if you're going to win it all, you have to have an established running game in some capacity. Um, you know, they disguise it with a three back system or, you know, but at the same time, you know, it's, you know, you still have to have a consistent guy that you can go to that can make plays. 
um, because you wear down the defense. Uh, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, they can't play nickel defense. They have to have another linebacker in the game, which helps a Tom Brady or Drew Brees because you have, uh, instead of having an extra DB, you have a linebacker that's covering a tight end or covering a slot receiver. And now it's a mismatch. Um, you know, so if you're a Melvin Gordon or an Ezekiel Elliott or Le'Veon Bell, uh, you know, these are special players. Um, they're special players that can literally change the game. Um, even if they go out and have 60 yards, there's so much attention on them that, you know, everyone else gives, it gives everyone else a chance to thrive because they can make plays that at any given moment, they can take it the distance or make a big play. Uh, back when I was playing, actually, we were just talking to Fred Taylor, uh, who played for Jacksonville for a long time, uh, not too long ago, about, you know, our era in the 2000s and in, in the 90s. Um, you know, I mean, there were, I mean, it was literally about the running backs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of the backs that are in the 10,000-yard club and 9,000-yard club, 8,000-yard club. I mean, we were all literally battling uh, for, uh, you know, the rushing title every year. I mean, you would have multiple guys with 15, 1,600 yards, 1,400 yards, 1,300, and we're all back-to-back, neck-and-neck, trying to get that title. Um, and I think it's the same way now. It's just there's you have more emphasis kind of now on the fantasy football and, I mean, just the game has changed altogether. But, you know, as long as the NFL is around, there will never, ever be uh, a time where a solid number one running back will not have his value. And those guys deserve the money that they're getting, that they're asking for. Because, I mean, they're literally doing everything. They're pass protection, they're pass protection. They're carrying the ball 20, 30 times a game. They're catching the ball out of the backfield. Um, Their presence alone makes the team better and makes their – passing game better so. definitely a, a needed position and i mean you look we, we've already named some of the guys who are big today and you you mentioned some of the guys who are big you know a decade or two ago you know obviously the position sometimes chooses you based on your size and your athletic measurables but if you had to do it again and you could choose would you go the running back route i definitely i mean i just loved everything about the position um uh you know, I love the fact that, um, you know, I, I could, you know, I mean, I had the ball the majority of the time. If I'm getting the ball 25, 30 carries a game, um, you know, they, I'm, I'm, I have the majority of the opportunities to help my team win on offense. And and I loved to have that kind of pressure on me. And, and it was fun to be able to, um, you know, kind of play this mental chess match with the defense. And uh, it was challenging. Um, physically, it was definitely tough because uh, as soon as they see that ball, you know, you have 11 guys coming at your <laughs> yeah. head, you know. Uh, so, You're a marked you know, man at that point. You know, you know, I guess you should ask me this question depending on my offensive line. You know, I had an <laughs> offensive line, great offensive line, yes. I would play running back all day. I didn't so have, in 2019, inductee Reuben Brown was blocking for you. It was a good day. Oh, yeah, I would have played <laughs> Yes, with, with, with Reuben Brown blocking in front of you, there's no other <laughs> position to play. Uh, but if you don't have an experienced line, then yeah, definitely. I may have, you know, wanted to switch positions for sure. But, but you know, uh, looking back on my career, I, I definitely wouldn't have played any other position with running back. You know, I, I think we sometimes forget that even though you had a very, very successful career, you retired from the NFL at the age of 33. You still had a lot of life to live in, and who knows, maybe a second career in the offering. You've now transitioned into acting. 
Did you have a struggle post NFL kind uh, trying to find that next transitional job or, or was it something that kind of came naturally to you? And tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the, the roles that you've had. Uh, it was very unpredictable. I, I didn't think that I was going to, I mean, this wasn't something I had aspirations of doing. And uh, I, I somehow I ended up producing a little uh, small TV series and uh, and I took a small role in it just kind of, you know, to pass the time. And the publicist for the show thought I had some raw ability. And so she kind of uh, motivated me and a couple of the other actors to take it serious. So I found an agent and then um, I started going on some auditions in L.A. And I booked a couple of things early to get some confidence. And then uh, you know, I said, you know, what, let me take it serious. So I moved to, to, to L.A. at an apartment and, um, and started going to acting class. And I was in class for about six hours a week for about four years. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to get cast for some really good projects uh, to play next to some really good actors uh, early in my career. You know, I, I was I had a chance to work next to William H. Macy and Shameless. I had a chance to work next to Gabrielle Union uh, on her show, Being Mary Jane. Um, I also had a really uh, good scene uh, in the Straight Outta Compton movie with Paul Giamatti, who's an incredible actor. Uh, and then from there, you know, I, I was able to get cast for some really really good projects like Luke Cage, a Marvel uh, Netflix show. And I, you know, I had a role where I played next to Alfred Woodard and Theo Rossi. You know, these are some of the best in Hollywood, and I'm kind of thrown in the mix with them early, which, you know, did nothing but give me more and more confidence and to believe in myself and believe I could really do it. And now uh, I'm a full-time working actor and producer. I just produced a film that was in theaters earlier uh, this year called A Violent Man, where I play in a mixed martial arts fighter. Uh, that's, that's accused of uh, of a murder. It's a suspense thriller film that I produced and starred in. Um, and I mean, now it's just kind of, you know, uh, whatever comes next. You know, Hollywood is very, uh, you know, active, and there's always new and projects. And, and and as an actor, there's always ways that you can become better and evolve. Um, you know, now I'm more so getting into. Uh, biopics and possibly playing someone in a biopic and doing characters where I have a different accent. Um, you know, because I'm trying to stretch my legs as an actor and then also grow as a, as a person. So I, I couldn't have chosen a better post-career uh, uh, job than this. You mentioned some of the, the people that you've, that you've acted with or that you've been on set with, you know, do you have any, any mentors that you, that you stay in touch with, you know, kind of like a, what a position coach used to be or what an older NFL vet used to be to you, or is there somebody that you're trying to emulate? I know that in acting, you really want to be yourself when you're not being yourself because that's what acting is, but do you have people that you look up to or that you aspire to, to kind of follow their lead? Yes, definitely. Uh, I mean, one of my biggest inspirations is, is Franz Turner, and he was he's an actor, but he's also my acting coach. And uh, he's been in the industry for a long, long time, and he's the one that actually turned me into a real uh, actor. When I say real actor, someone that respects the craft, someone that uh, uh, takes it very, very seriously um, and understands the value of taking on new characters and how uh, valuable that is in just your everyday life and, and being able to evolve and grow as a person by being open to different uh, cultures and different scenarios and using your real life uh, uh, situations and experiences and, and, and adding them in to, to your characters. Uh, also, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, close to Isaiah Washington, who's been in the industry for a long time and had a lot of ups and downs. 
and uh and so you know I learned a lot from just picking his brain uh about his experiences and the do's and the don'ts and and then just actor talk um things that uh I can pick up on I'm a very fast learner and the thing good thing about being a football player is that you have to be able to uh adjust on the fly I was I played in five diff- I had six seven different offensive coordinators I played on five different teams so uh I mean that you have to be very uh um quick and studious to pick up the, the, the new playbook and the plays and the schemes and the coverages and the fronts. And, uh, and that all of that history of me, the history of me doing that, it helps me in this industry as well, because, uh, being a, to be a great actor, you have to be very specific and to be a great football player. You have to be very specific. You have to study film. You have to know where the linebackers are going to be. You have to know where the defensive linemen are going to be. The safeties are going to be, all these things help you before the play starts. You already have to react. So as long, you're going to be able to react better if you already are anticipating what's going to happen. And it's the same thing with acting. So, yeah, there's several people. Chael Coker, an incredible showrunner. Uh, he cast me for Luke Cage. He's become a mentor to, to me. Um, Alfre Woodard. Uh, I've just met an incredible uh, group of people in a short period of time. So I'm, I'm very grateful. Both football and acting are, are clearly crafts that, you know, if you, you can have natural ability, but practice definitely makes perfect. What was more difficult, a two-a-day practice in Charlottesville or that acting class you were telling us about? <laughs> uh, two-a-day practice in Charlottesville was more... In the uh, summer. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, more physically. I would say they're equal, more physically challenging the practices and more emotionally challenging would be the acting because the technique that I study, which is Ivana Chubbuck's technique, uh, you really have to use uh, a lot of situations in your in your life that you might not want to address, uh, things that you might want to kind of push to the side or avoid. Those are the treasures of acting because uh, they make you honest. Uh, when you're dealing with real life implications that create some sort of emotion, uh, it makes your performance honest because you can tap into your character and, and whatever your character's feeling, you can manipulate that feeling through a real scenario. So that sometimes is emotionally taxing, but it's also a release because once you, uh, it's almost like when you get the ball and you know, you're kind of in a zone. Uh, when you're running the ball, you don't really know what's going on. You just know you're making the right cuts and the right right moves. That's the same thing in acting. Once you actually buy in to your character and you actually use the technique and you're really dealing with a real-life situation uh, in the scene, then you get lost and you get in the zone. And before you know it, the scene's over. You're like, whoa, where did I go? So it's really, really cool on both ends. I've been able to find... Uh, the adrenaline rush in both in both football and acting. When you're looking for a role, or say a role is kind of being presented to you, um, is it one of those situations where you say, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it because I want to prove to myself I can do it"? Or are you looking for the right role, the right fit for you personally? Uh, I think I think at this point in my career, I'm open to um, any role that makes me uncomfortable. Uh, I think, you know, the only, the, 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 the only time you can do something great is you have to get out of your comfort zone. Um, and I think I'm at a point in my career now as an actor where uh, I just did uh, a show 
that will be on Stars Network at the top of the year called P-Valley. Very, very interesting show. But uh, my character is from Mississippi. And he has a very, very, very southern accent. And he has uh, uh, gold teeth. And I'm from Virginia. I have a southern accent. But this is a very specific accent. And to the point where they had a dialect coach on set. So uh, I have to you know, be honest with my character, but I also have to have this accent. And, you know, at first it was a little bit uncomfortable, but then, you know, I practiced it, practiced it, like you said, you know, repetition. And, and then I started to get comfortable and then it became second nature. And, and now I know once I see it on TV, it'll be a shock to a lot of people because, um, they've never heard me talk like that. Um, but it won't be realistic because i practiced it. So I think now, like I said, any role that I can have to get out of my comfort zone, those are the roles that I want to take on. Well, you've mentioned you've, you've been in TV shows such as Shameless, Being Mary Jane, Luke Cage, the movie, uh, A Violent Man, and then upcoming uh, P-Valley on Stars. Uh, Thomas, it's been a pleasure catching up with you and, uh, and hearing about all the success you're having off the football field. And, and we'll be sure to find you on a small screen or a big screen. And who knows, maybe even an award show coming up in the future. Uh, I want to really thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me. And it's an honor to be a part of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Um, and yeah, keep doing what you guys are doing. I keep up with everything you guys are doing on social media too. So I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be on here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you, Thomas. And we do appreciate the support that you're giving us from all the way across the country. Uh, that was 2018 Virginia Sports Hall of Fame inductee Thomas Jones. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. If you liked what you heard, please follow us on SoundCloud under the Hall Call podcast. You can also stay up to date with new episodes by visiting our website, www.vasportshof.com or following our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of them are at VA Sports HOF. Uh, it's the same handle across the board. Uh, I'd also like to thank uh, ESPN Radio 94.1 WVSPFM for their support of the Hall Call podcast. I'm Will Driscoll, the executive director of the Hall, and you can catch us next time on Hall Call.